0: Hi, I'm Shannon, pastor at Sturgeon Bay Community Church. I want to thank you for joining us during our study of the book of Mark, where the theme is that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the Son of God. The whole point of studying this book is so that you can find out more about what the Bible has to say about the person and the work and the message of Jesus Christ. I would encourage you to grab a cup of coffee and a notebook and let's dive into the book of Mark. And I hope that you could join us sometime soon for a live service where ministry happens in relationships and you can get connected to other brothers and sisters in the faith, see you soon. In the book of Mark, we have been studying for the past few weeks, and our intention is really to understand um, what Mark is trying to convey, what we need to learn from that and how we can make an application of God's Word in our everyday lives today. So that is our pursuit, and that is what we will be going for today. We will be in the second and third chapter of Mark. If you have your Bibles, it'd be a good time to get them open. If you've got your notebooks and all that kind of good stuff, I'll give you some points that you can write down today and follow along. As a backup, backing up a little bit to to where we started in Mark, Mark is the very first of the Gospels that was written. It was written by John Mark, the young disciple. Thank you, sir. A young disciple of, of Jesus Christ who followed Peter in Peter's ministry. John Mark was introduced to Jesus formally at the Last Supper, which was held in John Mark's very own home. John Mark got to be there when, when Jesus uh, um, held that supper and, and he said, this is my blood, this is my body. John got to, our Mark got to see that happen later on when Jesus... Uh, was resurrected and he came there into the house and he met with Thomas and he said, put your hands in the holes in mine, son, and feel the, the, the sword wound in my side. John Mark got to watch that happen later on when Peter was released miraculously from prison by the angels and he came to the house where he came was to John Mark's house. So early on in his, in his formative years, John Mark was a follower of Jesus Christ. Later on, he would become the bishop of Alexandria and the proprietor of the great library there. Mark, in his latter years, would write down the gospel all he had heard from Peter and learn from those who had followed Jesus so that today, 2,000 years later, you and I can go to the scriptures and read the account of Jesus as reported by his disciple, his follower, John Mark. The theme of John Mark all the way through, without a doubt, is simply that Jesus of Nazareth is the Messiah, the Son of God. If you ever wonder why did John Mark share that story, what is the theme of this? Where is this going? What is this about? You can always come back and know that what Mark wants you to understand is that Jesus of Nazareth is the Messiah, the Son of God. That is the theme throughout. Today, we'll be looking at what's called the Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus was showing through all that he did and said that he is, in fact, the Messiah, the Son of God, and that he is the Lord of the Sabbath. The Jewish apostate religion had become a place of oppression. judgment, legalism, taxation. Its, Its religious practice was full of ritual and full of things that in themselves had become hollow. And this ritualistic, empty, plastic banana of a religion had really left people realizing there's nothing here but the cover and there's nothing behind it. We're not at peace with God and we live lives of guilt and of fear and of oppression rather than of grace and love and peace something was wrong with Judaism. And Jesus came to be the Lord of the Sabbath and to return the Jewish people to truth and then to bring the gospel to the Gentiles and eventually to us in Sturgeon Bay, Wisconsin in 2017. So Jesus is showing them what is good. Lastly, in a catch-up last week as we moved into Mark chapter 2, we saw Jesus doing some healing. We said that whenever there's a healing, The message is beyond just that healing action. Jesus is wanting you to engage something bigger. So as it was with the leper who came to him, Jesus was challenging the priest's assumptions that anybody who was sick or had a disease was being punished by God. Jesus was saying that what's not necessary is for people to go through rituals and steps, but that healing and forgiveness comes through Jesus by grace alone. What a beautiful picture. And that leper was healed. And Jesus said, go to the priests and fulfill the religious requirements of the law of Moses, but let them understand that their assumption that all healing has to do with you being perfect is failed. Later on Jesus would be teaching there in Capernaum and as the people would open up the roof and hand it down that the man who had become a paraplegic, they lowered him down to Jesus and Jesus said, Your sins are forgiven and later, pick up your mat and walk. He was saying that grace and forgiveness comes through Jesus, not through the ritual of religion, but from the personal relationship with the very real Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And a little later in Mark we have Jesus encountering a man by the name of Levi, a tax collector, wicked, corrupt, evil to the core. Yet Jesus was telling Matthew, his name at that time was Levi, he said, Son, I'm coming to your house today. We're going to be friends. I'm going to eat with you. Matthew's understanding had always been that through wealth and opportunity and privilege, he would somehow earn his way to merit with God. And if he could just make enough money and give enough at the temple, <clears throat> excuse me, that somehow, The priest would then show him favor, and through the priest he could be forgiven if he could just earn it, somehow get there, find his meaning and and merit, find his value and his his resources and his income. And Jesus said, I'm coming to your house today. Jesus cut through all the foolish assumptions and said, Levi, I love you. I love you. Follow me. And, of course, the first of the Gospels that we read in our Bibles when we open them up is the Gospel of Matthew that person that Jesus called. Assumption after assumption after assumption is challenged because Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and He is Lord of the Sabbath. Today in Mark chapter 2, 18 to 3, 6, we're going to encounter uh, Jesus healing a, a man's withered hand. We're going to encounter Jesus walking through the fields and, and breaking some of the laws that the priest had established for the Sabbath, not God. And we're going to find out what that is all about. So if you are a note taker and you're looking for the outline, here you go. Fasting at the party? No. The Sabbath law? Whose law is it anyway? We'll take a look at John chapter 5, verses 1 through 15, and we're going to look at a healing hand. And then we're going to explore at the end, what does the Son of Man mean and what's its implication for you and I in the 21st century? So let's open up in a word of prayer, and then we will dive straight into Mark chapter 2, 18 through 22. Lord Jesus, we take this time now and we dedicate it to you. We ask that that which we study and that which we explore will bring glory and honor and praise to you. God, we ask that any assumptions that we may have come in here with today would fade away. We ask that the truth of your scripture would cut through our culture, our society, our assumption, our guilts. And God, that we would come before you, students who are ready to rightly divide the word of truth, and to learn from what you have to say. These things we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior, through the power of His very real and indwelling Holy Spirit. Amen. Mark chapter 2, verses 18 through 22. Now, Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. People came and asked him, Why do John's disciples and the Pharisees' disciples fast, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus said to them, the wedding guests cannot fast while the groom is with them, can they? And as long as they have the groom with them, they cannot fast. But the time will come when the groom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast on that day. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth to an old garment. Otherwise, the new patch pulls away from the old cloth, and a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is lost as well as the skins. No New wine is put into fresh wineskins. Fasting at the party? No. Why would the apostles be fasting? Why were John's apostles fasting? And more, why were the priests' apostles? Why were the priest's disciples all fasting? Well, a little history lesson. As it were, this is the time of the Feast of the Tabernacles in preparation for the Passover. And Jesus is there in Jerusalem preparing for that, for that time. Leading up to this, there was a fast. Now, a fast is when you choose not to eat or simplify your diet on purpose so that during that time, you can be drawn to prayer and drawn to focus with God when the hunger pains fit. Now, if you're a teenager in the life of Sturgeon Bay Community Church, I know this weekend you guys participated in a 40 or a 30-hour famine. Which was it, guys? 30-hour famine. Oh, couldn't do the 40, huh? I'm just missing during the 30-hour famine, our teens chose not to eat because they wanted, as the hunger pains came, to focus on something God was working on them about. And uh, that's a, that is a discipline that we practice in the Christian faith from time to time. And, and our Hebrew, our Jewish ancestors in, in the faith, they did exactly the same thing. But unfortunately for them, these times of fasting had become ritual, and it was, it was empty. It was just fasting for fasting's sake because it had become a law. And I think we can all agree that when religious practice becomes law, rather than something we do out of the heart and we do with dedication and focus on our Lord and Savior, that it becomes empty. And in fact, it just becomes sin. And that is what happened there. The Pharisees and even John's were looking forward to what the feast was celebrating. You see, that feast was celebrating a time when the Messiah would come. So they were fasting and asking God for the Messiah. They were saying, God, by not eating during this time, we are asking you, please send the Messiah, send the Messiah. So when Jesus' apostles are following him, why would they fast? Because the Messiah was here. Because what's the theme of John, or the theme of John Mark in this gospel? Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. So as they're celebrating, Jesus is trying to get across to the Pharisees. Why? When, when we're at a party. Why would you fast at the party? When, when the Messiah goes, then you can fast in sorrow, if you like, and anticipate his return. But why would you put new wine into old wineskins? Why would you take the confines of, of a dead religion, an apostate religion, and put greatness in? What's the greatness going to do? Boom! It's going to burst the religion anyway. It couldn't hold it. Why would you take a take a garment and sew a brand new patch on an old garment? What's going to happen? Boom, it's going to burst the patch. you got to understand, Jesus is saying, why are you fasting, any of you? I'm here. And what's that message? Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. So John Mark, in his writing, is making sure we're seeing and understanding what Jesus was trying to get the people of his day to see and understand. There's nothing wrong with fasting. The fasting itself, though, is not the end. The fasting points to the greater message and at that time the message was being fulfilled. Mark chapter 2 verses 23 through 28. We're going to go a little further. On the Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields and his disciples began to make their way picking some of the heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, "Look, what are you doing? It's not lawful on the Sabbath" Jesus said to them, have you never read when David and those who were with him uh, did when they were in need and hungry, how they entered the house of God in on, on the name of Avatar, the high priest and, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for anyone to eat except the priest. And he also gave some to his companions. Then Jesus told them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So then the son of man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Now, laws had been written. On top of God's law. God's law, you see, it told them that, that the Sabbath is holy, to set it aside in honor. That's one of the Ten Commandments, right? And the Ten Commandments didn't just go away because Jesus was there. But we've added things, the Jews, I'm saying, had added lots and lots of laws on top of God's law. And God's law was, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. It was a day, you see, the Sabbath to be with God, to put work aside, to be with God, to be with family to be with Christian family, to edify, to encourage, to worship, to celebrate, to remember what's most important. And so that Sabbath day was important in Jewish society as well. But what had happened, as so often does in religion, God had given it a law, and mankind started to pack more and more and more ritual and particulars on top of it to where people were buried. Jesus referred to it as a yoke that no one could bear. You know what a yoke is? It's the thing you put on an ox or a cow that they pull the the plow with. And they had put such a burden on people that nobody could bear it. It was oppressive. And the Jewish laws at the time, 613 laws they had put up on top of God's laws. And one of those silly laws that makes this passage important is that on this Sabbath, the man's law, the Pharisee's law said that you could not pick grain to eat it on the Sabbath, even if you're starving, because that would be work that would be harvesting. Now, that's silly, isn't it? That's ridiculous. But they created the laws with the best of intent so that people wouldn't work. But now the law was getting in the way of what the Sabbath was really for. And Jesus was saying, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. Why would he say that? Because Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and it's his day. It's his law. He gave the command, but human beings had created all of these oppressive laws, which were, in fact, obscuring the message of the Sabbath. So Jesus calls the Pharisees out. He said, don't you understand that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath is there to serve us, to give us the ability to put aside a day. We don't work on that day if we can if we can avoid it. We make sure that we're spending time with family and family of faith, resting the way God demonstrated and modeled for us. But the priest had turned the Sabbath into a day of ritual, an obligation. And friends, I wonder if any of you come to church today seeing church and seeing your religious practice as an obligation, as a source of of being forced or coerced, something that brings you guilt if you don't do it just right. Can I tell you that what Jesus was saying is he's the lord of the sabbath and the sabbath is about loving Christ, having time to spend with him, to revel in him, to learn about him. To sing songs of worship and to spend that day with family and friends, edifying and encouraging. Oh, if it's become obligation, if it's become empty ritual, if it's become oppressive to you, can I tell you, you have some assumptions that you need to get past. Because what you're doing is just like the Pharisees were doing. And you've placed stumbling blocks and barriers between you and the God who loves you. Let him go. Let him go. As we move further along here in the book of Mark, we come to chapter 3. Mark chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Jesus entered the synagogue again, and a man who was there had a shriveled hand. In order to accuse him, they, the Pharisees, were watching Jesus closely to see whether he would heal the man on the Sabbath. Jesus told the man with the shriveled hand, stand before us. And he said to him, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath? Or to do evil, to save a life, or to kill. But they were silent. After looking around them with anger, he was grieved at the hardness of their hearts and told the man, Stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out, and his hand was restored immediately the Pharisees went out and started plotting with the Herodians against him on how they might kill him. Have you ever read or heard that passage and wondered, what's the matter with those guys? What are they so upset about? Jesus heals somebody right there in the midst of, you know, church. What is their issue? How come they're not celebrating? The obvious answer, friends and neighbors, is that Jesus was messing with their system. Jesus was showing those folks that the healing of that hand, The healing of that hand is showing everybody around that Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath, He is Lord of disease, He is Lord of healing, and that the Sabbath is a day for restoring. Now hear me, the Sabbath is a day of restoring. The Sabbath was not set to be oppressed and forced and ritual, but for restoring and rejuvenating and rebuilding. The Jews of Jesus' time had actually fallen into a trap. It was a trap where if somebody broke one of the Sabbath laws, it was seen as evil, as wicked. And you could actually be executed on the Sabbath for breaking the law of the Sabbath. How absurd. How uniquely contradictory. And so when Jesus calls them out, is, is he saying to them, what, what are you using the Sabbath for, to heal or to hurt? To heal or to kill? Which is lawful. He was calling into question the very rules and the laws that they had established for themselves. This, this, this was contrast. Now, the picture that's up on the screen there is probably, it was by Tussauds, by the way, one of the better pictures of what this scene probably looked like. Now, nobody was there drawing pictures and sketching, so we're guessing. But it's probably pretty close to what it was like. You see, um, in Jesus' day, the, the synagogue there, in Capernaum in particular, was a place that only the men got to go. Sorry, ladies, they were a different kind of society. I think we're doing a little better job today. But in that society, only the men could come. And instead of it being a place where there was singing and celebration and the learning of the word, it was a place of law and of ritual. And the rabbis would come and they would lay out the law and speak the law. But Jesus, we know from earlier passages, it was said, he teaches with such authority. And doesn't it make sense that the word of God would speak the word of God with authority? And so Jesus came in and instead of just perpetuating their laws and their rules and putting finer points on every little law, Jesus came and he taught grace and truth and the word because he is in fact the word who was with God and the word is God. And in the beginning was the word of God. So as Jesus was teaching that day, all were listening and they were taken back. But when Jesus outtaught them, when Jesus brought the truth that, that exposed the flaw and the empty ritual of the Pharisees, they hated him for it. They hated him and they wanted to kill him. And isn't it so true in our world today that when, when truth is out there and it upsets the system, that the system rejects truth and seeks to destroy it? And isn't it the case sometimes in our lives that whether it's true or not, what we've become comfortable with, we want to defend even if we're wrong. And anybody who comes challenging our system and starts to rock the boat, even if what they're rocking it with is truth and God's way, we don't want to hear it and we want to destroy that message. This is what was happening there with the Pharisees. Their empty, ritualistic, false apostate practice was inconsistent with the word. And when Jesus spoke the word to them, they were angry and wanted him dead. Mark three 27, uh, I'm sorry, Mark 2, 27 to 28, that word again, Jesus told them the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. So then the Lord, the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. So why is it that Jesus referred to himself as the Son of Man? Have you ever wondered, Why didn't Jesus just come on out and say, I'm God, I'm here, I'm the Messiah, let's get this going. How come Jesus didn't just throw it in their face? Why can't we read it 2,000 years later and hear Jesus going, I am the Son of God, I am here, I am here. Why didn't He do that? Well, He did. He did it in a way that the Jewish people would understand, and He spoke to them in their culture and in their language. Here at Community Church, we have a few things that we call our core values, and some of them are that we are culturally relevant, and that we are intentional, that we seek excellence with hearts that honor God, that we try to make sure that what we do is consistent and makes sense, and it's real in our society, authentic, we like to say. Our staff even says that we operate in a culture of candor, and we try as a church to make sure that that, that we are ready to, to hear and to encourage, and, and you've probably heard it if you've been here long at all, that somebody may come up to you and go, you know I love you, right? But I need to call you out on something. Or, hey, would you pray for me? Would you hold me accountable for something? We believe that we need to live lives that are authentic and consistent with the gospel. And Jesus is teaching a culturally consistent message in language that his people would have understood. And here's what it is In the book of Daniel, the prophet Daniel speaks of the coming Messiah. And in order to help people understand that that Messiah would be God in the flesh, born in the flesh, looking like a human being, living a human life, but being God himself, Daniel referred to that Messiah as the Son of Man. So when Jesus calls himself the Son of Man, what he's doing to all of those people is he's drawing them back to the prophetic words of Daniel and saying, I am here to fulfill the law, to fulfill the The prophecy of the Old Testament. That was really important to him. And you know, folks, it's important to you today because Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And he made it very clear that he is Lord of the Sabbath, which means that Sabbath day that you and I celebrate and that we honor, we do in honor of Jesus Christ, not in honor of religion, not in honor of ritual, not in honor of of practice. We're not trying to get away from guilt or check a box or make somebody else happy. The Sabbath is for Jesus, and that's why we do it. Now, there are those who would tell you today that the Ten Commandments were done away with when Jesus came. He said, I'm here to fulfill the law, and therefore the Ten Commandments go away, and we have complete and total liberty in Jesus, and we're no longer bound to the law. That's a bit of a stretch, The Ten Commandments are still true today as they always have been. But the beauty of that commandment, remember the Lord's day and keep it holy, is not that it's a ritual and a rule and a law that oppresses you, but it's one that frees you. It's one that liberates you. It takes away a life in which every day is only about work and material gain and serving the dollar. It takes away the pressure of no time with family. It takes away that pressure of no time just to let the week go, to be before God, listen, in worship and in learning and in challenging and in edifying and encouraging. This is the day that God has set aside for you. Can you hear me say something? What a gift. What a gift. Why have we turned our back on that? Why as a culture and as a society... Have we allowed ourselves to fall into the trap of serving mammon and serving the job every day? Why, as the Christian church, have we not been the loudest voice to say, no, the marketplace on Sunday, no, that 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 takes away from the offering of our lives that God's given us a chance to give. Now, lest you say, oh, Shannon's being a legalist, now we're all back to, the you know, oh, no work on Sunday or it's a sin. I don't, I don't want you to hear that. I want you to hear God's love for you, saying, this is the Sabbath day, keep it holy. Hear me say, as much as is possible with you, friends and neighbors, as much as is possible, save the Sabbath day for God, save it for family, save it for edification, encouragement, to come into worship, to make the day special. I know the world we live in does not always make that possible. I don't want you to feel like the church is here to judge you, I want you to know that when you can make it possible, the church is here to love and to welcome and to be that edifying, encouraging, worshiping place when you can be here. Thank you, by the way, for being here on a Sunday. Thank you when the weather's bad like today and it rains and it's nasty, it's easy to come to church. But thank you for the days when it's beautiful and you'd rather be in your garden. Thank you for the days when the boss is saying, we've got to have somebody in here. We need you to be here. And you go, oh, I love you. I'll be in after church. Thank you for those of you who have said, I'm going to choose the career that gives me the ability, even if I make less money, to spend the Sabbath with my family and my church. Thank you. And what an, a high calling, an example, and a mark, and challenge you set for the rest of us. Because Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and He's Lord even of the Sabbath. And the Sabbath was made for mankind, not mankind for the Sabbath. I wonder today, as you came into church, and you hear that Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. I wonder if you come into a place like this and you're reminded of the church that Jesus was preaching in there in Capernaum or Capernaum, if you want to say it that way. When Jesus was there in that particular synagogue, some folks weren't welcome in church. Can you believe it? Can you believe that in Jesus' day if somebody had a withered hand or or a blemish or, or a disease, or if they were, you know, a sinner? They weren't welcome in the church, in that synagogue with Jesus. But Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. It's His day. As Jesus went into that that synagogue there in Capernaum and He began to teach truth, there were a lot of people that were not able to hear that truth, the gospel of grace and of healing and of forgiveness, because they weren't welcome in the church. Has that happened in our world? Are we guilty as people of creating places where our church is too good I and mean, we don't want the sinners there? And so we put up barriers to say, oh, we don't want the gay. We don't, we don't want this, the gambler. We don't want the alcoholic. We don't want the drug user. We don't, we, we don't want the unwashed. We don't want the adulterer. They're not allowed to come. We don't want them in here, the tax collector perhaps. And what Jesus is demonstrating and saying is that, listen, the Sabbath is for man. It's for you. The church is for you. This is a place where forgiveness and healing and love and challenge is going to be found. But Jesus ate with sinners, and so should we. When the church becomes a place that only the pure and only the holy and the sanctimonious are welcome, it's no longer the church that Jesus had envisioned. It's become something unto itself, something, sadly, just like those Pharisees were trying to impose on their culture. Ladies and gentlemen, we are called to lives of holiness and lives of purity. This is the sanctification that Paul was speaking of, setting yourself aside for God's holy purpose, your reasonable act of service, Paul called it. But don't ever fall into the trap of thinking. That that means somehow church is only for the pure and the holy and the perfect. It's my desire and my hope and my dream as a pastor that as our church grows and our seats are filled, I'm able to look out there and see people who are far, far from God, sitting next to those of you who are seasoned and mature Christians in the faith, who love people who are far from God and reach out because otherwise, where are the beautiful feet? Where are the beautiful feet that come bearing the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved? Where's the message that those who believe in their heart that Jesus is God and confess with their mouth that God raised Him from the dead will be saved? Where's that message if people aren't in church or aren't around Christians living out the gospel to hear it? And... Since to be absent from the body is to be present for the Lord, what's the hope of those who have sent themselves into positions where the church no longer wants to hear them or love them or reach out to them? What's that say about their eternity? And what's it say about us? Friends, the challenge of Jesus is that He is Lord of the Sabbath, and it's His day. What are we going to do with it? What are we going to do with that day that's for God? What are we going to do with these lives that He's given us to live? Are you doing things that matter, that have kingdom value, or are you simply living out an empty, hollow, constantly moving goalpost, fake, ritualistic, guilt-ridden, plastic banana religion that has nothing real in it and only disappoints? Or are you remembering that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, the Messiah, the Son of God who came to love, to seek that which was lost, and to bring the Sabbath to serve them? As our worship team comes back up, we're going to enter into a time of prayer. In this time, it's really between you and God. It's not a time that's anything uh, ritualistic. It's going to be a time that is simply for you to get in front of your God in prayer. So here's my challenge to you. Would you mind today closing your eyes, bowing your heads? You're not going to miss anything interesting around you. Just get before God. My challenge to you is this. Whether Jesus is your Lord and Savior, or whether you just simply respect the idea that there could be a God, would you get before what might be your God for a few moments? As the music plays, a few prayers to offer, a few things to put before God as you get into this place. First of all, God... As religion becomes something of a practice to me, do I do I fall into that category of people who sees it simply as ritual? And if so, Lord, would you point it out to me? Perhaps some of us have come here today and we're we're holding on to some guilt, holding on to some practices and behaviors in our life that have nothing to do with your gospel, just of simple religiosity. Lord, would you free us from those things? God, you've challenged our assumptions. Would you free us from the guilt? Would you free us from the ritual? that's keeping us from being truly able to worship and to celebrate giving ourselves to you. Lord, this morning as we dedicated children, these precious ones, we made a promise to sanctify them, to set them apart for a holy purpose. And we've promised to support these families, to encourage them, to sanctify them. But Lord, how about ourselves? But have we sanctified ourselves? Have we seen our own lives as being set aside for a holy purpose? Would you show us ways in our lives right now that maybe some things that are unworthy of the gospel have made their way into our behavior, into our ways of thinking? Jesus, we celebrate that you came offering forgiveness and love that you came offering peace with our creator that whosoever calls on the name of Jesus will not be ashamed Lord everlasting life is here for those of us who know you and love you God we just pray that you would keep working in our hearts keep challenging us keep loving us Lord when we fail that you convict us when you forgive that you release us Pray these in the name of Jesus Christ, knowing that he is the Messiah, the Son of God. Just asking that his Holy Spirit continues to empower us, to embolden us, to give us opportunities to be the hands and the feet that come bearing the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray this together as a church in your name, Lord. Amen. I want to thank you for coming today. You've gathered as a congregation, and now the challenge is to go be the church peace. You're dismissed.